mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defense. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> On rewatch, I was uh, just saying that I thought uh, that the Welsh team that Ireland defeated actually didn't play that bad. It was quite a fast and aggressive game when they had it. I mean, they weren't hopeless. They, they carried the ball quite well at certain points, but they, they turned it over a lot when attacking and didn't really build anything. But you were saying you didn't think they were any good yeah, at all. I thought they were terrible. I thought... Uh, Going into the game, that just talent wise, it was the probably the worst Welsh team since uh, in twenty years since two thousand two game. I was also what I watched from behind the sticks that time in the old North Terrace. I think with possibly with you, Andy. Ooh. They were wearing black shorts. Shane Burns scored a lot of tries. I think I worked. Yeah. I worked for that. yeah. And so, so I remember that game and. Uh, that was, I think, Eddie O'Sullivan's first year, maybe his second year in charge. And we banged in like 54 points and they looked hopeless. Now, this Welsh team was better organised than that Welsh team of 20 years ago, but that's in general true of rugby. Uh, I looked down the team sheet and so many big names absent and so few compelling um so few forwards who'd built any sort of reputation in in pro rugby through their clubs. I just thought that we would handily win. I thought we'd. I think the spread when it was I first saw it was plus four. I'm not a big better, as you know, but plus fourteen. I was thinking, yeah, we'd probably win by more than fourteen points. Probably win by about twenty. Um, and yeah, we did win by more than twenty. But I think that the there's like a real lack of talent in that Welsh team. Bigger names, the names that were missing are almost all of them uh, in their in their 30s. That They are all in their 30s. Some of them were in their mid-30s. Alan Wynne-Jones, 36. Ken Owens, 35. Most of the others, like Lee Halfpenny, 33. George North is, is only 30. It's amazing how, how young he still is. But um, like they can return some good backs, uh, but they don't... And, you know, they can return some good forwards, but we won't have to worry about Wales for a year until the next Six Nations. And at that stage, those returning forwards will all be a year older. And at this stage of their careers, uh, you have to say a year worse. Yeah, it, it's pretty a funny place to start with, with Wales. I didn't think they were... I thought they were well coached. I thought they were well organised. I thought they were kind of sticky but just talent wise didn't have it I suppose what what stood out for me before the match was how slick it like I often get there during the anthems as, <laughs> as, we, as we all know and I never see the teams warming up in fact I often don't see the teams even coming out um and Ireland's warm-up was was really fast and I don't put a huge amount of store on that because, you know, you can see teams that look great and everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face and all that sort of stuff. 
um, see a team that looked right unopposed. But but even allowing for that, Wales didn't look like that in the warm up. You know, there was sort of passes at each other, and it was it was more it was more meandering than Ireland's, um, and the, there wasn't the same zip to it. And even based on that, you're going, you know, if you didn't know anything about the players on it, you'd back Ireland to win mm. based on, on how quick they were. And then during the match, I was I was struck by how little of the ball Wales had, particularly in the first 20 minutes. And then I was looking at them going, I remember at one point, probably in 20-something minutes, saying, geez, your man has his hands on his head, he's got his hands on his hip, he has his hands on his knees. Like They're going to be blown in the last 20 minutes. And then rewatching it, I thought to myself, "Geez, like Wales weren't that bad. They were, mm. they were, they were better than I don't know the given credit and the score." But I think the big thing was is just the the difference in talent. So lo, rewatching it and looking at how Ireland played, I was like, "Jesus, like Ireland are good." Yeah, that that, that was more the thing that hit me. So that's just why I thought starting off at Wales was. I think Wales will will win matches in this Six Nations. I think they're, they're going to win more than the Italian match. I They'll beat somebody else. I don't think so. You don't think so? No. I, I, well, uh, yeah, fair well, enough. Go on, continue about hey, what you, the qualities you think Wales have then. I still think under Pivac, they're, they know what they're trying to do. They're, they're, like Liam Williams is a good player. Um, they've got attacking... They've got cutting edge with uh, McNichol and uh, Reese Samet and Josh Adams, even though I don't think Josh Adams is, is great there. They've got two pretty good scrum halves. Uh, I think I like Dan Bigger, and I think Basham is a good... Um, I think I think Basham is a good flanker. I think Wainwright's a, a decent carrier at number eight. I think he's getting better. I think Moriarty will come in and play. Um, Beard is better than people in Ireland give him credit for and their front row they miss Ken Owens but I mean like I, I thought they'd miss Adam Jones and I thought that they'd miss uh, Gar- uh, Gethin Jenkins more, I thought they'd miss them more than they subsequently did like Wales won Grand Slams without those guys I thought once those guys both went that that would dry up that they wouldn't have replacement props so I just I <sighs> The story of that match for me was how good Ireland were. Um, in what particular qualities did you think Ireland were so good? For me, it was all about the fact that everybody ran straight, or a lot of the time they ran straight. No, they didn't. Uh, there was quite a lot of uh, there was quite a lot of sideways movement, but there's enough people running straight not getting the ball that it uh, it holds a defence and keeps them within you know within the fifteens. Uh, there's a, there's so much subterfuge going on at the moment in Ireland's game. Uh, so many delayed passes or passes out the back with, you know, a runner hitting a hard line that's never that doesn't get the ball. I'm not saying never gets the ball. We play at the back a lot, but then on occasion, like I was just thinking of the two late breaks in the second half. One from Josh, one from Adam Byrne, which I think that the guy who was in so what I call. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, just that the, he got the short pass and, you know, all of a sudden he's through almost before you could blink. Um, there's an awful, an awful lot of, of subterfuge and subterfuge, rather, and um, it's really effective. You know, 
potentially it's something that somebody can figure out, um, you know, with a year's notice. It feels um, like uh, Ireland play the most elaborate passing game of any team in the world at the moment. Yeah, it seems like, it seems like the most elaborate passing game of any team I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, I, I would go so far as to say that as well. There was some move in, late in the second half, again, where I think we turned over ball and we were at a, quite a low angle to see it, and I couldn't quite make out where all, what was all this the passes. Was this Ringrose's try? No, it was, before, it was prior to that. Uh, yeah. or no, sorry, it was after that. It was, it was later on in the game. Uh, but it, it was... It was a move that swept in the same direction from the left-hand side of the field to the right-hand side of the yeah. field. Uh, and it just seemed like there was pass after pass after pass. And you could tell from the reaction. And it was good. Way, but, yeah. it was, but it was it was just like, how do they manage to pass the ball four times without me being able to make out where the line is at yeah. any stage? Um, it's, it, it, feels, um, it feels very... I don't know. That makes me feel like there's there's something... There's a lot more things that could go wrong with it for some reason. Of course there are. A lot of moving parts, more things to go wrong. It's yeah. very sophisticated. Um, but, you know, we've played uh, we played that way against England at a sort of low ebb. The New Zealanders maybe at a bit of a low ebb for them, but they're always good. Um, the Argentines are definitely at a low ebb. So the game against France will be a huge test of how well they hold up when you, you know, theoretically or physically get punched in the face. What did you think was good about Ireland? The physicality and the the work rate of the ball and the purposefulness of, of what Ireland were trying to do um, and how I thought that certain guys' roles had been simplified for them or had been they'd been given very good instruction about what they wanted to do. So... I think Josh Vanderfleer um, is is on record, and this this came out last season that he was he was told or he was asked to carry the ball more, and they wanted him to get on the ball more. So th- that's kind of well known, and he, and he's playing his best rugby, and it wouldn't surprise me in the coming weeks to find out or be told by James Ryan that he'd been told to be more physical. I I I thought that the the Montpellier away game really stuck in the craw for Leinster and then the fact that matches were called over Christmas and they were called off for both Irish teams and then the Lions match they couldn't get to South Africa meant that Leinster didn't have a match for ages um, and then came out like they'd been stung in the in the two return fixtures of, of the Heineken Cup. But one of the other effects was it meant that like James Ryan was off the pitch for ages and didn't miss that much rugby and it didn't have the opportunity to go back into it. And he went off after pretty much pretty much on 60 minutes and he wasn't injured. And I was thinking, this is great to see James Ryan get a hit out and not to have to retire injured. And hopefully that break really stood to him because during the match, he put in, he put, there was a few times where, because he has a very, like he has identical headgear to Keelan Doris and he's the same boots as Keelan Doris. And number five and number six look quite similar. So sometimes you weren't sure who'd done something. And I keep an eye on somebody getting off the ground. And almost invariably it was number five of like really like big clean outs, um, on the border late hits, uh, like, bone rattling tackles and like it was brilliant because I, I remember watching Alan Wynne-Jones during the last four or five years of his career where 
he was playing as well as he ever had, playing better than he ever had. And he, he's, a, he's a good handler and he gets into that sort of distributing position. But it wasn't a major piece of his game. Like the major piece of his game was how often he was involved and how physically strong he was and how well he dealt with the referee as the captain. And they were the things that he just game after game after game, he hit, he hit the standard that like he was never, and like these are all arbitrary numbers, but he was never below eight out of 10. And I was thinking to myself, geez, like if James Ryan is just continues to be that physical and doesn't pick up injuries, he's he's gonna fulfill all the promise that his his initial few seasons in international rugby indicated was was there. Um because he didn't try to do too much. Mm. Um he wasn't really on the ball that much, he didn't have to carry, and it, it doesn't make a difference because because other guys were. So and there's like there's probably seven better ball carriers than him in the pack. Yeah. So and I I was struck like Farrell was interviewed after the match and said a few things, but I, I was struck by sort of two sentences he used. So he goes, It isn't just Johnny, it isn't the first receiver, it's everyone. We're trying to make sure that we are as connected as pos- as we possibly can be in attack and certainly in defence as well. We're not just sending our forwards into a brick wall. We're making sure that they can run the right lines as well at the back and we're nicely connected and therefore our support play has got to be better because of that as well. So connected, connected. The fact that he used the word again, and that like as a defence coach, you want your players to be connected. So like remember looking at Wales a few years ago when when they were very strong and they had Jesus, Priestland, I think, at ten. Yeah. Um but they certainly had I'm going to say Priestland 10. It might have been bigger. I think it was Priestland. And they had um, Jamie Roberts and... Fox Davies. Foxy Davies in the centre. And they were always in a three. Always. And like the two centres... Uh, they were Sorry, they were very disciplined of being in a three. And the two centres were always beside each other. And then the back row was uh, Warburton, Warburton and... Lydia Falatau. And they were very good at connecting that seam. There was always two of them in between that trio and then the pack. And I'd say the pack, the tight five. So the t- like, you know, the, the tight five were invariably in close and then at least two of the back row and then usually three, but definitely the centre. And they, they just had that connectedness all the way through and Sean Davies. And there was like, there was a rigour to it. There was a discipline to it. And it's it's very it's wording that I would it's it's a word that I would associate with defensive coaching, but for I think we're seeing it in attack and particularly that new camera angle that's oh the spider across, cam yeah, yeah. The spider cam the one that's on, like above above mm-hmm. the play and you could see for Mac Hansen's try how quickly. Irish guys were working to get out he wide. Didn't score. Which one do you mean? Oh, the sorry, Bundy-Aki sorry, sorry. One. The Bundyaki try. That, that yeah, sorry, the Bundyaki try rather. Um, how quickly guys were working to just get in position out wide. Like you see Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan runs out wide. Now he was skipped, but again he's making that space. And you see how quickly guys are filtering in to make that space. So a lot of it is about getting into the right place quickly because everything is quick. Like Ireland look for quick rook ball. All like so often, mm. um, and get quick ruck ball so often because the the clean out is really effective, and it's not just James Ryan. Like it's Andrew. Like it's everyone really. Mm. Like Ronan Keller, Andrew Porter, but that's what I mean. Like the, the roles are very well defined, and that's why it struck me that I was there going shit. Like Ireland are really good. Yeah, 
this this isn't that Wales are really poor. Ireland are actually really good. They work really hard off the ball um, to get into their pod or to provide, uh, like when I say, it's not just a case of running around to get into position. It's when you're in position and you do a, a deadly run, you know, a really quick run that looks like, oh, this person is a threat and that person is a threat and the third person out the back, it looks like the smallest threat. But a lot of the time against Wales, certainly that's where the ball went, was out the back. And then all of a sudden you have these two people who look like threats drawing in two Welsh defenders or even more. They can't really hit the guys because it becomes a little more obvious once they're past the point where they can get the ball, like they're not getting the ball. Um, but they've still drawn in the two defenders. And as a result, there is more room wide out. There was a... Um, the difference in the centres between the guys that you mentioned, Roberts and and Davies versus Tompkins. Tompkins they could defend it quite well, I thought. Uh, Josh Adams was out of position and uh, was ropey, but just going forwards, like he's he's Adams or played outside centre, like inside winger, as I said before about wingers playing at thirteen, and then Tompkins just is no threat going forward like not an international level it's a huge step down from where they'd been previously um and, and you know I, they can like they'll, they'll bring back in george north when he's fit at 13 who did a good job when he was at 13 last like last year george north played some of the best rugby of his career at 13 i thought he was excellent but uh, i i think that they're packed like i don't think wainwright is is that good and I don't like. I think Ellis Jenkins, the the six, who was getting really good write ups during the November series. I just thought like he was possibly the most anonymous player on the pitch. Just just didn't think he figured it all. And that back row has no balance. Like the previous back row, the great Welsh back row of Falatau, Warburton, and and Lydia was so well balanced. You had guys who were so individually good at their positions. You know, in terms of Lydia was probably the best tackler in the world for about three seasons. Warburton was amazing over the ball and then Falatau could do it all. And I look at these guys now and you're going like, if Tane Basham had a Lydiate and a Falatau beside him, he might look like a good seven. And he got a lot of good rights. He's a good player, like a decent player. But I just thought that one to eight, like the Irish pack outplayed their opposite numbers by like at least <laughs> a nominal figure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Four. <laughs> um, three of Ireland's tries were like finished off by like a big, wide skip pass out to someone just waiting to put waiting to put down and come out to do a lot of work for the second one. Mm-hmm. But essentially, that's what it was. Um, do you think that's something that's significant in particularly how Ireland played or how Wales defended? Or no, more how Ireland played. I think. And that's a function of how well, like Ireland play this way first, then Wales have to defend this way, and that's where the space is to score. Like the Gibson Park made Andy Conway's second try look like, well, made it the easiest try he's going to ever score. Uh, it was just a wonderful pass. Like he cut out three Welsh defenders with one pass. It wasn't fizzed flat, so like nobody's going to put that in a highlight reel, but it was a great pass, a great piece of vision from JGP. And as I said, Conor will never score an easier one. Second, his first try, he had to do so much hard work. It was really good touchdown from him. 
Uh, but I thought Mac Owen, it's a good point about the passing. Mac Hansen's ability to pass both sides, left and right, at more or less full pace was fucking brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that that sort of rose in with the the quality of the Irish passing and the running straight in particular, like Mac Hansen coming in, like his ability to get into get into the line so frequently, but in particular for the after that turnover that set up the ring rose try. But he also like turns and runs directly at the posts, which mm. fixes everyone. Mm. And then he passes at the right time. And Bundy does exactly the same thing and passes at the right time. Like that's why I was saying that I thought that their running straight and timing of the pass was I mean, I think it's my it's I think it's the most important thing in rugby. Uh, I, it was so impressive by absolutely everybody. And I know there was a little bit of lateral running in some of the moves. Um, but by it, by design, though. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, but overall, I thought just the the ability of everyone to straighten up. Yeah, well, and you pass have well. Like Hugo Keenan is so good at passing. Yeah, in in a line. That's what I was thinking about Hansen. Uh, like we sort of about maybe in the November internationals, thinking like Hugo Keenan is the only viable option of fullback. Larry has played great at fullback since, and now Mac Hansen is also. The way he can pass um, makes him also a viable, a viable fullback. You know, he's got like winger's pace. He's great open field runner, but he can pass both sides, which is it's really good, really good for him. Because like at, at winger, we're pretty pretty deep. You know, we, I certainly saw Balakum's unbelievable sprint down the right wing for Ulster against Connacht for his tries. I've never seen a faster Irish rugby player, including Hickey. Uh, Balakum just looks unbelievable in full flight. Like he was, I've never seen somebody, never seen an Irish player run like that. Oh, he's cheat mode. Oh, he does look like a cheat mode he, type player. Definitely faster than Hickey. Yeah. So, you know, you'd love, you'd love to see Balakum, and it might, don't want to be dismissive. Like it might be that he's at his peak for two seasons, uh, and injury free, and that's when he gets a run. But you have to, you have to get a look at him, because that sort of pace is fucking terrifying. Like <laughs> Lewis Rees-Samuel wasn't even fit for this game apparently, and uh, but anytime he gets a ball in space, you're just there. <laughs> it's a bit of squeaky bum time. Yeah, the one time he got the ball, like in lots of space, he was extremely deep in his own half, but mm. like. How, how good his kicking is, I think, is also extreme. Like you know, both as a as yeah. a weapon and also as a defense, is is remarkable. Um, real like just doesn't seem to put any effort because you're standing in front of us for the whole second half. Yeah, doesn't seem to put any effort into it, and like it, it strikes flies. a ball clean. Yeah, flies um, off the bat. Yeah, no, explodes off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he 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 was conspicuous by how little he got on the ball. Mm. Really, um. I, I had sort of thought that um, Hansen had been picked in that maybe they didn't want to throw in sort of two new wingers, even if Balakun has caps to his name. Um, but now I sort of feel like he um, he has more to his game than I had even realized previously. Hansen. Hansen, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, you can certainly, there'll definitely be a time when Balakun will play in this Six Nations. I think, but uh, I would say he'll keep the two. 
wingers who played oh, so well in that game. I don't think he should make any changes in the starting team for the France uh, for the France game. I just think that um, Henderson and Henshaw should come in on on the bench, possibly also Carty. Um, I was unimpressed with what Joey did, and he came on. He didn't pick himself, you know, but he hasn't played since November, when whenever Munster played the Wasps, and before that he wasn't that good either. So, it sort of surprises me that he's in there. It surprises me also uh, in that we 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 know what he's what he's capable of in a sense, and he's being outperformed by Cardi at the moment. And Cardi has had such limited time for Ireland, and like, I mean, the biggest game of his Ireland career is a failure. He lost; he was the starting at half against Japan, mm. uh, and that, that's not writing off his Irish career. But like, he needs more opportunity and more time to play in that team. If when we get to a World Cup, like two, you know, he's the third choice out half, and like, you have a guy who's extremely injury prone or oh. yeah, injury prone. I think it's fair to describe. Joey Carby, he's, of course it is, and then you have Johnny Sexton, who's elderly, <laughs> younger than me, but elderly, <laughs> old for a professional out half, uh, and looks in great nick. But you know, obviously, does. My, but like, it was you know, he was injured for the Japan game as well, even though he wasn't out of the tournament. Yeah, my thinking on it is much simpler. It's like Cardi plays number ten better than Carby does. That's my thinking as well. Like, I, I think all the scenarios that you outlined there about what might happen in the World Cup is, is second to that point about who's who's playing better. Not just who who's playing better at the moment, who, like who plays yeah, better. Yeah, because you were saying, oh, we know what Joey can do. And I'm there thinking in my head, do we? He's a nice passer in broken field. I think he looks better as a fullback. And I, I sound like a broken record. But even against Argentina, when he went to fullback, I was there going, Jesus, like this is a great look for the team. And go back to what you were saying about playing Hansen at fullback. Um, it's it does give you a different shape that you can have two receivers on the pitch. So Hugo Keenan is a very good defensive fullback. I think the other thing that struck me before the match or after the match, I'd say after the match or towards the end of the match was the fact that Tom Kiernan had a, a moment silence or a minute silence before the game and I was thinking to myself, Jesus, like Irish rugby is in a strong position because of Tom Kiernan. Hmm? Like pr- pretty much single-handedly. Like it, a load of stuff goes back to him. A load of stuff went through him and goes back to him. And essentially, if you look at it, the, there's there's four Irish teams in the... So the fact that like Mac Hansen and Bundy Aki are both guys from the Southern Hemisphere... They're both Irish qualified guys. They're both guys who are playing for Connacht. The fact that Ireland have, and the reason I say about Connacht is like we, there's four provinces and they're all in the knockout stages and they're all professional entities. And and we, we talked about the amount of fixtures that there are at the moment and how it's different from previous seasons and how there has to be migration of players. So you have to think that Connacht will get better because they get more guys from Leinster. And they might end up getting guys from Ulster in the backs. And they might end up getting one or two guys from Munster, whatever. We'll see. Like, they'll just end up being... You can only see the four Irish provinces on aggregate getting stronger. Uh, and particularly Connacht, because they've the most room to make up... Um, 
and there's more opportunity for guys to leave the other provinces and go there and get game time with the way the thing is structured. And Kiernan was the guy, he didn't invent the provinces, like they were around before him. But in terms of, he was such a, he was such a, an ardent con guy. Like Lennon was talking about how he was the president in the centenary year. Lennon was the captain. Um, that I think it, it would have been possible, it, it's certainly imaginable that he would have pushed, oh, like the Irish clubs will enter into the oh, European yeah. Cup. Like Hogan and Gary Owen. He like wanted Hogan Gary and Owen Gary to Owen. play. Like, yeah, exactly. Hogan wanted Gary Owen to go in. Yeah. And like Tom Kiernan was like... And I'm sure whoever was in charge of Lansdowne at the time wanted the same thing. Yeah. And Tom Kiernan was like, the provinces are going in. And Tom Kiernan wasn't going to be bullied by the RFU. And Peter O'Reilly wrote about it. And like he was going, we're not going to let them hijack our game. And it's it's that vision and it's it's like the stewardship about looking after the best interests of the game that really come true. So like, again, Birch would, because Birch coached over in Wales and he says like a lot of the money in Wales goes towards supporting their clubs and the sort of the second tier of the clubs. And we talked about like that balance that there has to be in Ireland about the AAL and the pro game. The AAL doesn't prepare guys to play for the pro game. And like to play in the pro game means that you've got a chance of playing international rugby. And that I think that'll become more and more evident over the next five to ten years in Ireland. And it's already blatantly clear. Yeah. But I, I think like there'll be more guys from Connacht. But even the fact that there was nobody from Ulster starting and Ulster are so good, and there was two guys from Connacht starting, I think that says enough. So just structurally, Irish rugby is in good shape. Um and I just like I really thought to myself, geez, like kind of because of Tom Kiernan. And I but I, I and it just because we're talking about Welsh rugby and you see the twenties result and you go, it's it's just another example of it. And like the best player in the pitch was the Welsh scrum half in terms of natural ability, the way he moved. Like the guy was, class. was he a swarthy, handsome, mouthy fucker. No, he had <laughs> a man bun. He, he kind of he had a bun and um but like he, he moved like a cat. Like he was he was just quality. Like what is why are we so bad at producing out house? Like Scrum House. Scrum, Scrum house. house, sorry I mean. Scrum House. And the Welsh is just so good at it. And the French is so good at it. But like we're Well, you know like England have struggled as well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Tell but me about the yeah, Welsh like twenties. Sorry, we were talking about the Welsh Trenties previously. They had a good... I looked over their record recently. Um, actually, when I say recently, going back 10 years. So they won the championship in 2016. And then <clears throat> 2017, I think they might have finished third. But then the last four years, they finished in the bottom half of the table. Um, and they've had two wins per season. They've beaten Italy and Scotland in those games. Italy are better than they have been. Italy have been improving. I don't see this Welsh team beating an Italian team uh, this season at under 20s level. And like Toulouse, by that score, they had something like five players who'd played in the summer in the tournament that was played in Cardiff. The Six Nations, the under 26 Nations had been postponed. And so you had a, a very big pack with multiple returning guys. And I, I felt that they were extremely ill-disciplined. Most of them looked like they, you know, that they didn't know the laws. Like there were so many 
issues with how they uh, how they mauled and how many penalties they gave away at the mall. There was a bunch of players who didn't look fit enough uh, to play even 50 minutes of, of that level of rugby. And again, you come back to the quality, uh, the quality of players that are currently lining out for the Welsh team and the quality of players who are in there, all in their 30s, you know, from Faletau, Navidi, uh, Tepurich, uh, Alan Wynne-Jones, Ken Owens, Dan Bigger, George North. Like the, the youngest of those guys is North, Liam Williams, Lee Halfpenny. The youngest of those guys is North, born 1992. The next really quality player, in my opinion, that they produce is um, Josh Adams, born 1995 as a winger. And then Basham was born in 1999 and Rhys Samet is born in 2001. Like there's a big dearth of players. They have a bunch of people in there, a bunch of people in there in their match day 23, the Welsh national team, the senior team, who were born 1995. So that makes them 26, 27 at this, at this stage. So in their prime. And like, they're not great. You know, apart from Adams, not like, not to the standard of the previous Welsh teams from basically Gatlin's tenure. And then up until Basham, one player, and Reece Zammett, one player, admittedly young, just no, nobody else. So those are the best Welsh players that they have that aren't in their 30s. We're all out there playing for Wales. So they're going to have a fucking follow period. And I thought the Irish 20s, to go back to it, what struck me about it was just how uh, cohesive they were, like how, mm-hmm. how well drilled. I thought the Irish clear-outs in the breakdown were the best feature for Ireland. But also just like the tip-on passing was, was better than it had been in previous years. And again, in, in terms of like the unseen work, I thought that um, it was testament to Steve Aboot. So reading Willie Anderson's book recently, um, like <laughs> Willie seemed to clash with a lot of guys. But a lot of, of guys along the lines. He'd clash and make up again with a lot of guys. Um, but he, he didn't have a bad word to say about Aboot. Aboot. And really liked working with them, really liked his counsel and... The, the fact that he, he kind of looked out for Willie, but he wouldn't have been as prominent. Like, he wasn't the former Irish captain. Explain anyway, the, uh, just a Abood's, Abood's yeah. thing was to coach the coaches. No, but who is he? Oh, so Steve Abood went to work in the IRFU. So my memory of this was Willie Anderson. This is from Willie Anderson's book now, I'm trying to remember. There was two jobs came up in the IRFU as technical officers. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if that's quite the description, but that, that's kind of the job. And they were they were going in there to write a program kind of modeled on what the Aussies were doing to produce players, but more so, and this was a Bood's a Bood's belief was to coach the coaches. So you're going back to the nineties when a guy called George Spotswood was kind of the only suit in the IRFU. Like I don't think there was an equivalent of Philip Brown. Like, I think it was very much committee-led and Spotswood was the suit. So again, like, to, to to draw the distinction, what does that mean? You wrote an article about the blazers, the suits, and the tracksuits mm. in the IRFU. And the suits being, like, Philip Brown and the executive guys that that run the organization. The blazers being the guys who get elected all the tickets, committee men. The elected committee men, you know, who... Were volunteers. Volunteers. And the tracksuits being... Like 
Phil Lawler and Connie McEntee and and like Willie Anderson and Steve Abood beforehand, who are the guys out on the pitch on behalf of the union, like doing development officer jobs, coaching the coaches, all that sort of stuff. So Steve Abood was in there really early with Willie Anderson. Steve Abood, his back, was he Black Rock College? He, I don't know where he was. I think he was, yeah, I think he was Rock. Yeah. As, as a club man. As club, yeah. I think he was Rock. And um, would have put on the first, the, like the first few coaching seminars and that are like annual events now in Ireland. And they're at different levels, you know, and like it's, you know, they're fairly, I wouldn't say become homogenized, but they become more standardized. So for example, like Stuart Lancaster is a level five coach, if I'm remembering correctly, whatever, he's, he's the top level. If the top level is level four, he's level four, but he's, you know, like it's, um, and it's not just a question of if you complete level three, then you go to level four. It's it's like a pyramid and it's, it's harder. You have to, I think you have to be invited to be on a level four coaching course it's that sort of idea but there's a thought that goes in behind it so it's not a uniquely Irish phenomenon but I, I always I'm I think the 20s are a good reflection of what coaching has gone on before because they tend to ref, their playing ability what do I mean at international level if you've got really good athletes if you've more people born in a year Start it the other way around. If you've got more people born in a year, you've got a higher opportunity to have really good athletes. So if you look at the back row that Ireland had in like the late noughties, um, where you went like David Wallace, Sean O'Brien, Jamie Heaslip, Stephen Ferris, Leamy, like you had a combination of, of rugby players and athletes and you're going, Jesus, like how come we didn't have that a few years later? And it's just, well, like you have more people, like you, you, you had a greater opportunity in the late noughties of having that purely because of demographics. And it's like having Darcy and O'Driscoll, like you've just got a better opportunity because of demographics. So like fundamentally that's where you start off with. And at a, at a higher level, you've, you've more opportunity to have better athletes and you sort of, you need them more. So like oddly enough, at a higher level, you're, you're more reliant on just the ability, the physical abilities of, of what you have. Cause mm -hmm. it's, it's such a, a rarefied, environment that like if you don't have it it's really hard to make it if so you're like, missing one thing if you look at the irish team now like they're all ball carriers and ball players like you were saying like james ryan or you were saying like james ryan is like the eighth best ball carrier in the irish team and he's he's good at it he can run and he can handle um but you look at who he's competing against so the 20s isn't like that it's 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 a more dis distributed um skill set like there's you might have a few good athletes in it you might have two or you might have as many as five or six but like you're not going to have 15 in any one year so the way the team performs is more reflective of like just the coaching that goes on and the coaching that's gone on at the moment in Ireland like the breakdown work is really accurate um, and the guys are, they're better able to hold their lines. They're, they're actually able to pass. Whereas a few years ago, like they couldn't pass at all. They just take pop balls and fucking muller into and be Jesus. And that's good, but it's limited. Um, but there was nobody of the same natural footballing ability, which is a phrase I like, but you, you know, they get subject to interpretation as the Welsh number nine. Like he, the guy was the best footballer on the pitch by a mile, but there's only one of them. And his team lost by 50 yeah. points. And, you know, now, uh, like, 
our starting front row could run and pass, and our backup back or our our backup front row could run and pass on the twenties. Like they brought on like Basher Boyle started number one, who is just such such a blue chip can't miss <laughs> prospect. Like he's gonna be a full international. Um the three was very good it started and then they brought on Rory Maguire at 18 sub tight head I think he's a black rock guy who is like he's excellent as well you know they have three they have two really good tight heads and a great loose head at that level all in one year it's really impressive because they can scrummage maul run past tackle uh, really impressive and you know they didn't have like they were really outweighed in the pack, but accounted for nothing, partially because the Welsh guys, I I felt like, weren't well coached, didn't know how to use their sides, didn't know, like, let's let's maul this team, doesn't matter, like, they should have been able to maul Ireland off the pitch with the size that they had, they couldn't even, like, didn't even know how to maul properly. Uh, I thought that they were just badly coached, terrible discipline. And um, and really poor. They had a thirteen. Did you see some of the thirteen's touches in the first half were outstanding. This tall fella like Jonathan Devereux. <laughs> I was thinking this fella's bound for league. <laughs> you know, lovely touches, and he just didn't get the ball after that. You know, really a really poorly coached team. That was the coach that Pivac let go. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. But remember, Pivak let his defence coach go in the last year, and he's the 20s coach now. And it just struck me, like, you know, Richie Murphy, not that he was let go by Ireland. Like, he's an IRFU employee. He was changed around. But Richie Murphy has gone from being, like, a specialist kicking coach and skills coach to being, like, to getting his first full head coach job. And he's made a great fist of it. Really good fist. Sometimes... Um, there's complaints that it's hard for Irish coaches like that there's quite a lot of Irish coaches around Mark McCall uh, Raj Prendergast and it's difficult for them to get back in the Irish system but like there's only so many jobs in the Irish system there's only four professional teams in Ireland and you know like that's not a lot of jobs to go around but this way you've gone from a guy who's been a specialist coach at a higher level, down to a head coach at a lower level, and you're thinking, like, it's quite good. It's quite a good system. And that's why when you mentioned that Welsh second centre, that I think there's always the players in Wales. Always the backs. I think there's always, yeah, fair enough, always always the backs in Wales. But they have big guys as, mm. as well. And it's... So they definitely had a good team over the last decade, but they also had Gatland over the last decade. And I'm certainly of the opinion that if a, a Pivac's a good coach, but Gatland is like Gatland's on another level again. That if there was, but he's probably too old to do it at this stage. He's not going to come back to Wales. But if there was, like, if Gatland was, if Gatland, Jesus, if you could take the Gatland that started with Wales and put him into Wales, oh now, yeah, yeah, they'd yeah. be strong for another ten years because he'd make the big guys fit and he'd identify and pick the best young guys because like they always have the backs and you only need to have like 15, 16, 17 of them in, in your squad. Sorry, you need to have how many backs do you need to have your squad? Like say you've got 12 really good backs who mm. can all play. Wales have that. Mm. Um, and you get your forwards fit. But I, 
but you're relying on talent. And I know that kind of contra- like isn't that the point? Like you have to have the, that's what I'm saying is like you have to have the talent, but like the the talent doesn't make you connected. Yeah. So I I I don't know. It's it's why it's why South Africa will always be strong because they always have big guys and they have guys who can kick and tackle in the backs. And if you get a good coach up the top, you can coalesce that. It's why yeah. like the All Blacks will always be strong because they've always got fast, fit, hard guys who can pass the ball. And you just need a coach who's able to go in there and give them a purpose and like keep them on the straight and narrow and and like message them and like give mm. them that belief and like you know dickheads don't make you know good people make a good all blacks no dickheads all that sort of stuff like that's that's probably the biggest thing yeah but there is a difference though in between like like south africa slumped like south africa lost to us 37 3 yeah and i think they lost in the same year um you might check this for me. I'm not sure. Is it? Is it they might have lost fifty three seven against the All Blacks or something like that. If, yeah, so, it like feels familiar. Twenty seventeen rugby championship as well. Um, and that was because they were badly coached. If you look at the team that played against Ireland in twenty seventeen, like Etzebet was there, the Beast was there, a load of the same players were oh, there. Peter Steffi really like a load of good players were in it, and we we absolutely annihilated them. Remember, I was watching that down in the Kurgauer in Limerick, and uh, I was watching the stadium. And I couldn't tell who the fuck was who. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but just like coming out of that, going, I remember saying to the lads, like, "I'm bored." They're going, like, "Mark that down in your diaries, lads." <laughs> like, we will never beat South Africa by that much again. It, so it was fifty-seven nil. New Zealand beat yeah. them by in, in North Shore, and uh, in in twenty seventeen, and I, like I'll. Look, the team, the team that we beat in last ten row was really strong. Yeah. Um, so go back to Joey Carberry then, and uh, we've talked an awful lot in this, and you haven't had many questions really. Um, in Ireland, were just after sixty minutes, were at twenty nine points on the board, twenty nine nil. Mm. I didn't score anything for the last twenty minutes, and there was a there was a definite drop in sharpness when the subs came on. Oh, 100%. Um, I thought Ireland became more predictable, less kind of urgency about them, which is surprising in a way because you think the subs will be gagging. And that, that's why I thought like Wales weren't that bad. Like, yeah, Wales what? won the last 20 minutes 7-0 for, for like what that's worth. Yeah. But, and, Ireland, and Ireland were on top. Like Ireland were in the 22. Yeah. From my point of view, it wasn't the urgency that I was missing. It's just like the coordination. You know, I, there was a little bit of of Piper sort of, I felt, started evening out the, the penalty count to some degree. Uh, but I felt that it's just the coordination and the connectedness, to go back to Farrell's word, dropped off like considerably. Maybe that's too many subs at one stage, but it's not really you would expect to use the subs in those sort of situations. Just like I felt the nine... Uh, more, more like Connor had some bad moments. His pass to Ty Burn, that Ty Burn gave the offload to Basham was a, was a bad pass. Set up Ty badly. I, I, I just thought that Carberry uh, just ran 
towards players and passed to them and nothing was as well organized. He doesn't organize guys. He doesn't organize guys around him as much. Like he sort of, he gets the ball and he throws a pass and you're there going, it's kind of, it's a bit obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Or he gets the ball and he puts up a kick and you're going like, or what? And what I mean by that was when Carter was playing, who was the best ever, you never knew what he was going to do. Even when he had the ball, Mm. he knew. And it was like, do I kick, pass or run? And every time he had the ball, you're going, geez, he could do any one Just, of these. And he's just and so it threatening. Wasn't, it wasn't what happened next. It, so this is later on in his career when he wasn't burning guys for fun. Like This isn't like 2005, 2005 Dan Carter. This is 2011 Dan Carter or like even late, like 2015 Dan mm-hmm. Carter. So the pace was gone. And like it wasn't he was this elemental threat with the ball. It was just like you didn't know. And it was, it was a great reminder. Like he could still run, but he wasn't Bowden Barrett. But he just didn't know, and you couldn't, yeah. like, he was pretty much, it wasn't quite that he was impossible to defend, it was his team was impossible to defend, because he didn't have to do anything extraordinarily brilliant. It was just the threat that he put on you was really good. And I thought that's what Ireland were very good at. I, and that's why I thought they were so good, rather, was yeah. that definitely last year I became more and more of the opinion that it's about applying pressure to the opposition in as many different ways as possible is the way you win matches. And Wales couldn't apply any serious scrummaging pressure to Ireland whatsoever. No. Ireland's scrum was so tidy and Kelleher's hook was, was so good that it was such an opportunity because you could see the way Ireland attacked in the first half that it was like either Gibson Park would run one way with the ball and then cut back the other way. So he'd make the Welsh midfield all, he put them off balance. They all started right, ran left, and then he went back that side. Mm-hmm. And, but they were all off balance. Or he ran a dummy line and Conan picked and went the other way. Or we got the ball to Bundy, or Bundy went on a switch. But like it was a pre-planned move, and Bundy went in a switch and went back the other way. But all of that you could do because we had a really solid scrum. A few line heads been picked off, but... Um, maybe that maybe that's the weakness. Like when Hendo doesn't play and Omani doesn't play, like the lineout isn't as absolutely strong as it could be. But the lineout wasn't under severe pressure, and Ronan Keller's job has got better. And Ireland kept on taking kicks, and like Sexton missed two of them. But there wasn't any kind of thinking about it. Or Second like, one was a weird one. I kind of have the feeling like, oh, we're seven nil up and we've scored early, so like you know we're going to crush them or we're going to go for the corner or we have to score a try. It was just like there was no. It was bang, go for the sticks. And it's that scoreboard pressure is huge because you're going, like if Ireland were 13 nil up at halftime, Wales would have lost by more, like significantly more, I think. I thought every, uh, yeah, I thought every kicking decision at the post was the right one to make. It was weird that he missed the two of them. On the the, second, day, one, the it, second one was the wind. On the day in the ground, I was like, I, they're excusable. And then on the CD, I was like, they look a lot easier than they looked, they seemed on the ground from yeah. the end level. But I also think the the drop off at the end was because it was like, we've got four points, we got the we got five points against this team. There's absolutely no chance they're going to score anything significant. They're not even going to get twenty points and make it and like sort of, you know, cover up this. This has been completely one side. The, the team were just like, this game's over, and if we score another try, great. But like, it's it's done. I, that's that's what it felt like to no, me. I thought we were trying to score a try, and it's just like 
we lacked the same cohesion that we'd previously had. You know, uh, like there's like Dan Sheen, I thought was really impressive when he came on. I liked Beelham when he came on. Uh, he's not Tyke Furlong, but I think he's, you know, really solid. And I remember seeing Beelham in a couple of games that he played against New Zealand under Joe Schmidt, and he can, like, he can pass as well. And he's big and strong, like something like, you sort of don't get that impression of how big he is, but like, he's about 19 stone. He's a big dude. And, you know, when we have those two guys on with the wild hairdos, a lot of attitude, a lot of 1980s attitude in the front row. <laughs> love that. definitely be like a tag team. <laughs> like, <laughs> they would, wouldn't they? <laughs> Total tag team. <laughs> Total what there, tag what team. What would, would they be called? It's one for the listeners to come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I felt like the, the most kind of egregious Scored that we butchered was James Ryan not passing. When oh, I, I saw that. I it was much more egregious on the replay than I was. Like I thought because of where we were, I could see the channel that he was running into, and I was thinking like he's going to run over this last fella and just like fall over the line. That that guy wouldn't be able to make the tackle on him, and I only saw on the replay that like he had two lads outside him. So it was like a three on one. He should have just passed. I, I have to say I thought a lot of the like. A desperate scramble defending by Wales was good. Welsh defenders was, was very good. There was like. It was just, I mean, there were there were there were certain things where I think we just maybe tried to force it force it too quickly rather than just meat grinder. I thought with Ryan, so you're saying like everything good comes from running straight, and he, he cut back in now, but he he didn't drift. I feel no, he should have passed. Any, I thought any, I, it felt to me like he was like this match is won, and I'm going for an extremely rare James Ryan international try. He's actually bagged three. Any, I feel that I would always encourage guys to go for it. Oh, and me too. Certainly, and the reason you can't tell a player to back it, himself it and then go. Yeah, yeah, and like it, it. So look, he he didn't score, but you just go, just just go for it. Like stop, stop looking for the pass. Like stop running. Like just run as hard as you can and go for it. And I think like that really simple messaging. And I shout that at everybody, even... I like, shouted even Hans will as, do a, it as soon as he got the ball. Even as a I spectator. Saw the yeah, yeah. But even, like, it, it's surprising. Like, Wales aren't that bad. I think the Welsh guys would have covered it. Because it's the second row passing. And I was delighted to see Gary Ringrose. Like, I was shouting at Gary Ringrose, just go. Fuck it, just go, 100%. go, 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 go hard. And he, he went hard and he scored. And you're going, brilliant. Reminds me of a certain... Willie Flynn. <laughs> but it's great Dark to see. Dave. And I just, but I, I just... Why I, did I say Willie Flynn? I meant Kevin Flynn. <laughs> Dame Vera Flynn. <laughs> well, yeah, Ring Rose, yeah, Ring Rose just going for it was, um, was an enjoyable one. Ah, it was lovely. Great to see like an arcing run like that, a classic outside break. Really enjoyed that. So there's an awful lot to enjoy from that game. So looking ahead to uh, Les Francais, I watched their game against. Um, I watched their game against Italy. Italy very, very much improved, uh, and I think that's an Italian side with growth yet to come in it. Uh, so the Italians did that thing where they were really uh, much tougher than the scoreline gave them credit for. Um, 
and pressed the or did just did really dumb things at, at a couple of very crucial occasions. Um, two things in particular: the pop pass, this crappy line out, and then the scrum half oh, trying gosh, to improvise yeah. through the ball straight to the. But Jalange took that brilliantly. He did. He and he anticipated the whole thing and like. It wasn't like, oh, I can't believe you're going to throw that pass. It was like, oh, shit, he's done that. Yeah, it happened and then, very quickly. And, and then the other thing was, just before half time, having almost scrambled to being in half time in the lead, some guy trying to clean out shitty ball went straight off his feet. France got a penalty. And then from the resulting phases, either I can't remember whether it's a scrum or line out, they went with great fucking hands unbelievable hands. Uh, and those two players got clobbered yeah and like so the the Italians were so close to actually having ruffled the French feathers properly and gone in maybe not just 10-9 but maybe or you know whatever whatever the, the you know they could have been four points to the good rather mm-hmm. than rather than just rather than four points in, in reverse and like they were always probably going to lose that game and then it just becomes one of those games where like the French just push the score out bit by bit but like without I, 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 without being particularly impressive I thought yeah like, or like without, without without seriously outclassing the Italians in a, in a way like the Italians just they, they're I think they also suffer from being the Italians in certain games where I think the referees kind of presume they'll do something stupid yeah and are looking gives for them, them a bit of a hard time or like the, the big their italian jerseys paint bad pictures as it were is is what is what i think i think if they got like if they got some like sort of more laissez-faire refereeing in some games they could get an awful lot closer and that's not that's sort of like saying if they got away with cheating it's like i think they just make it really obvious when they're doing something bad. It feels yeah. Like. There is part of that naivety, and this is maybe straying into like cliche territory. But they do make big, egregious penalty decisions, which are very difficult to overlook. Mm. Whereas other teams are far clever about how they pull down a mall, for example, or protect their own ball. You know that one. I think it was against Brex when he went straight over the top. You go, oh, geez, just don't do that, Brex. He didn't actually need to do that. Yeah, he didn't like, even he, need to do looking it. Looking for, he's like, get those hands on the ground. <laughs> you know, it was like it was like that was his goal was to get his hands on the ground. You know, uh, and Brex is a good player. Like he's, I think both their centers are very solid. Uh, obviously, uh, the out half Garbisi is full of talent. He made a couple of mistakes in that game, but like really young player. Uh, and the, I like the way that they're like playing. Giovanni as well. Is yeah, and the one the one was really strong. He's like a Christian Califano type prop, maybe a little bit undersized. Going against like Antonio makes everyone look undersized. And then the tree is a big solid square fella, but he actually passes. You know, they use him in the center of the field. He's never going to move outside. Never going to move into the tram lines, but he can give and take a pass. So I think Crowley is a really really good coach, and. Um, they're, I think they're a decent team. Now, as somebody said on the commentary, maybe Bert said in the commentary, Italy tend to lose confidence as the defeats build up and they can start the tournament quite well and then collapse. Yeah. But like we've beaten the Italian teams. Like I think we banged, I think we've scored like 63 points against the Italians in the Six Nations under Joe Schmidt and like 57 in another game. And that's a hell of a lot of a difference between like 37. 
and 57. Yeah, it's 20 I, points difference I, between those two squads. I'd withhold judgment a bit on the Italians. I thought that they were, and I completely agree with Birch, I think the Italians can be at their best in the first match mm. um, because they're more kind of up for it. Like there's more hope that this will be their year. I also was impressed with Canone, the, the second row, number four. Yes. And I thought the Italians. They worked very well. Um, they kept hustling for each other. They defended very well. They always have strong guys, like the, and particularly strong guys in the pack. Wasn't particularly impressed with anything in their attack, and mm. that would be the bit that would concern me is that their attack doesn't get any better. Um, and they've had good attackers, like they had. They never seemed to stick them together though. But like you know, they had they had the possibility of picking Maurice and Campanaro in the centre, mm. which is like a good attacking pair. He doesn't have, uh, what's the name of the fullback that he's not picking? Manazzi, he's not yeah. picking him. I don't understand why. There must be some sort of personality difference there. Anyway, and and they've often had quick wingers, like Venditti was quick, but, you know, not as good. But like definitely, definitely good centres. Mm. And just I just kind of feel that to win matches, they're going to need to score points and they're going to struggle to win any matches against the other five teams. Yeah, I agree. As, as doughty and all as they are. And the problem is that you're going from match to match losing is like how long can defence and work rate hold up the yeah. same? Because that they're, they're relying an awful lot on strength, defence and work rate. They really need to win a match to get that buzz. And like defence and work rate is the easy stuff from a coaching point of view. So I do think Crowley is a good coach. I think he's gone in there. He's he's done the right things with them. The players who are predominantly Treviso believe in him because they won the, the Rainbow Cup with him. And I know people, like it's like winning the League Cup. Like People dismiss it, but like it, you won a trophy. It's a trophy. It's a trophy. Like it's a really positive memory yeah. to have. It gives you belief. But nonetheless, I would withhold judgment as to whether they've moved on or not. I, th- I think Garbisi's a huge plus for them. Yeah. Because I often thought that if the Italians got a pair of halfbacks, they'd be dangerous because they, they always have speed and they always have big, strong guys. And the problem is the, the transmission. Yeah. Well, for, the tra- for more than a decade, they didn't have an out-half. Yeah. So then with France, I... France are kind of odd in that... They have loads and loads of players. They should have, and and they can field two teams. Mm-hmm. But yet, they're kind of still lacking in some. Do you think they're in still in gestation? They shouldn't be. No, I, I th- agree. I they think, shouldn't I think be. But they do you think are. they are? Um, that, I'm not sure because that gives light to the fact that like they'll arrive fully formed. I kind of hope they don't because like <laughs> we could meet them. Mm-hmm. I, I would prefer to play the All Blacks in the quarterfinal than France. So, like, I'm I'm looking at Scotland having. Been... I'm not going either way. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter, buddy. <laughs> we can end up playing fucking Samoa. Get there now. Yeah, but 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 look, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I think that I think sure. Look, it does. Well, I've said it. Like my rationale being that. If we play France in the quarterfinal, there's no way we're winning that match. No, we won't get... Well, firstly, we won't get any fucking decisions. <laughs> we're not going to get a peak of a refereeing decision. Like, there's no way France are playing Ireland and the referee isn't giving everything to France. But, like, look, I, I'm worrying. Whereas I think if we play the All Blacks, we'd, we'd have a crack off them. I know, like, history does not paint a, a kind precedent. But, look, that, that's sort of beside the point. You're talking about France being in gestation. I think... 
I think what surprised me about France is that they're not there already. Mm, I like, agree. Their good players are so good that they they can always tip the balance. And like it didn't surprise me in the slightest. If we if we'd recorded this last week, I would have said I thought the Italians would be closer. But I also would have said, look, in the last 15 minutes, uh, one, if not two, possibly all three of Entomac, DuPont and Penno will score seven to 14 yeah. points, depending on who's... who's DuPont, taken. though, looked like what he was, recovering from COVID. I thought that was... Like, I thought DuPont had one of the quietest games I've seen from him in a while. He still... Token gave the pass to Penno for Penno. Oh score. yeah, no, he's a, like he's just a great player. <laughs> like, he's just awesome. He's, I I felt that uh, it would have been a good time to play France first up. He's mm. so important for them. He's like Aldred and him are just like an eight nine unbelievable Aldred's machine, rugby playing machine. So that that's why I think that it, it's it's really. There's such a joker element to those three guys mm. that as long as they're on the pitch, you're going, shit, like this could be seven points at any stage because they, they could just flip it. But that said, Ireland, I don't think Ireland should beat them. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. I know we're playing in Paris. Yeah. So, like, but Ireland are good. Yeah, Ireland are really good. Like, I'm surprised. Uh, and we got Henshaw and Henderson to come back. Yeah, it's going to be big because when they bring on their sub front five players, can't remember the name of the loose head, but it's uh, Malvaca at Hooker. Jesus. He's enormous. He's enormous. Vamba <laughs> is like, when we played against him like four years ago, he was like... I think he was 20. Yeah, and he was like real, like it seemed a bit ropey on the whole loss of the game, you know. And then Taufa Fanua is just a giant when he comes on. Like there's so much size when they bring those lads on um, up front. It's... That's a that's a tricky part of the equation because they start off with a lot of size. You know, they start off with we need Antonio. He's just so fucking huge, man. You see photo, you see the the footage of him when he's beside the other players. And it's like, what is he like? One is to one point two five. You know, he's, he's so much bigger. And then Willems is a uh, Willems is fit. You know, he's such a huge man. He's very abrasive. He's fit. I think they'll probably. My feeling is they might. I read it somewhere as well. I'm not pulling this out of thin air. So they might bring in Bernard Larue into the second row beside him and move Wokey out of Dylan Cretton. Cretan. Uh, so they keep their line out and they bring in more. Bernard Larue is such a tough guy. He really is so hard. Um, so which which I think they'll do. I think it's a really tough game to call. Very difficult in France to win in France as well. Our record in France isn't as awful as you'd think over recent years there's like a surprising amount of like i mean like 2014 we won 2018 we won yeah 2012 we drew i think it was yeah what? that's right 17 17 um like tommy bow banged in I mean, two tries <clears throat> what's that's three out of the last six that are not defeats yeah considering we went for 30 years without beating them at all like yeah uh, like this is also an exceptionally good french team there's also a sort of but there's a kind of pre-built narrative into everything that like oh well they've faffed around for long enough now being <clears throat> having these classy players it's time for them to win something well they said that last season as well yeah and it's like this it's like it's time for them to win something it's like it's always time for france to win the six nations it's always time for every team 
realistically, with the exception of Italy, to try and win the Six Nations. And like Scotland came to that party in the last few years where I know they talk a big game, but like they could win the Six Nations, Scotland. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this time it's like that the, what they're really building towards, if they're building towards anything, it's the World Cup. It's not the Six Nations two years or, you know, 18 months before it. And it's not the Six Nations six months before it. If they're building to anything, it's the World Cup. But like that doesn't mean they can't win the tournament now. It doesn't mean they can't win the tournament in 12 months' time. It doesn't mean they can't win the tournament six months after the World Cup either. Like, it's all about each tournament at a time. Oh, and, they're yeah. not gonna, and, like, they're not, they're not, like, sacrificing anything by throwing in some, like, Mickey Mouse players or some under-20s. They have, like, easily got 45 international players mm-hmm. to play. So, like... I think I also think that the idea of the World Cup cycle is getting shorter and shorter at this stage. Everyone's realizing that basically, it's the year before it. How you prepare? Do you think so? Yeah, I agree. Because it's like, I think it's know, eighteen months out. You see what Razi Erasmus could do in eighteen months, uh, and I think when you start planning for, like, you sometimes see these. They're really just, I don't know if we call them articles, but like, you see lads and they're, they're under twenty two. He could be in the team in four years' time. Yeah, he could be. Like, you can't dispute that. So can fucking loads of other people. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually watched um, I watched this video of the all the tries from the uh, 2018 Grand Slam. I often think that 2018 Grand Slam has been sort of lost in the mix because I think it was the first year that TV3, now Virgin Media, were broadcasting it. And the uh, summer tour where we beat Australia was on Sky and the Autumn Internationals where we beat New Zealand at home were on so no one put a good DVD together because no one had the rights to all three of them. Mm-hmm. And bizarrely, that like those that came against England. It just you never see it in terms of like cropping up in terms of highlights. Anyway, that's the side of the point. Uh, there was nothing from the France game in it because there was no tries by us in it, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird. And also, Gordon Darcy can't finish the sentence. He's a terrible <laughs> commentator. <laughs> Where was I going with that? <laughs> Sorry, my thought was like, there's so many players in the 2018 team who are still there. Like, nearly everybody is still there. There's, like, there's so few new faces, what I'm saying. It like, but at the same time, you know, Robbie Henshaw is four years older and has had, like, the, you know, Anis Mirabilis probably of his career last year. Although he's, oh, had, it's amazing he's had a lot of high points, yeah. but, like, that England game in particular was a real, like... It just was, he like, turned the tide on, and then he was, like, one of the best players on the Lions tour. Like, Jack Conan was playing in that, in that tournament, played against Wales... Uh, but then, you know, was in the, you know, he was in and out and he was never in and now he's the man. Yeah. And like, Caelan Doris is totally new. Josh van der Fleer was there, but he did his crew shit in the French game. Yeah. So like, just, and like, you know, Andrew Porter, I'm pretty sure was there in 2018, but he was a tight head and he was the sub tight head. And now he's the, like, he's cornerstone of this, of this team. So I'm just saying there's like a lot of players, a lot, a lot can happen even with the same players being there. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The, the match the, the match we haven't talked about is is England and Scotland, and talking about the same players, <laughs> what hit me about that match more was that Eddie, like it was it was the team that, I don't know what Eddie Jones is doing in terms of the selection for his World Cup, you're talking about building. Maybe he's just getting out all the guys that he doesn't want to pick Um now, getting them, like, you know, when Manu Tuolagi is injured, he just puts in, like, Simmons in his equate. Like, 
we were we were chatting about it, going the longest game. He's got like he's he's picked he's picked these two guys as a quarter of his pack, who he's just ignored Simmons, who's been like player of the Premiership for three seasons. He's just gone. Oh, I'm not picking you. And then like he took his way off after 25 minutes or something ridiculous in South Africa, when like Ezekwe was. Four years, and Ezekiel is not an old guy. And no. now you're going, and now you're going back, and you're picking these guys again. So part of me sort of goes, right? Like it's 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 not that you're vengeful, like you, you know you've you've given these guys your opportunity. And part of me goes, there's not really a bit of you, Eddie, that believes in these two guys. I think Eddie Jones is overthinking it, and like I don't know what he's doing, dropping Mako Vunapola, for example. Just don't. I have no idea where that's come from. But like, look, I mean, Mako's like, only like Mako's thirty one. He's not even old. He's not 34 or anything like that. He's just an amazing prop. Like, to, to, oh, he's not one of my best props. No, he is. Yeah. I don't know why Jamie George isn't starting. Like, Jamie George is savage. He's a brilliant player. Like, I don't know why you don't have Billy Vunapola in your squad. Like, if I had access to Billy Vunapola, I would just do whatever it took. If it's like, if it's like, no, Billy, I'm going to, you know, send you, like, do whatever it takes to get Billy Vunapola playing. If it's completely different, it's like take the Jimmy Johnson, the old Dallas Cowboys coach. Like he's like going, yeah, of course I treat players differently. I treat my good players better. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he's like totally goes like that's how you manage the team. Like you get your best players, do whatever they need to get them to play well. I'll be doing whatever it took to get Billy Vunapola feeling like he's the man again, so he can give you what he gave you in the past. He's not, he's not past it. No. If like, you ask, it, sorry, if you ask me, this is, um, it might be spurious three beer talk, but like, it feels very much like Eddie Jones is kind of on, to, veering towards a sort of like, late era Mourinho, perversely taking out like, sort of vendettas against people. And, uh, and like, I mean, I just don't see it ending well for England. I'm like, like the England, beat New Zealand in the semi-final. And they were absolutely pummeled in the final of the World Cup. And I don't know why Eddie Jones has so much credit in the locker. Oh, well, uh, he's been to he's been to finals of the World Cup with different teams. Yeah. Um and he and he keeps on and he beats South Africa with Japan and he keeps on coming back. Uh and he's he reinvented England. Sorry, this is yeah. what I think. He reinvented England before like if you look at the team that we beat in 2018 and then the team that beat us in 2019. Mm-hmm. Twice. Everyone beat us in 2019. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Like, we won three games in the Six Nations. You know, average year. Uh, but he reinvented that, t- reinvented his team. And I think he's trying to reinvent his team again. Um, make a, have a whole host of backs who are like, like Queens and Marones backs who can all run, pass and kick. And I don't know why he's moved away from having like his huge pack of forwards. Don't yeah. know why he's moved away from picking the Setsi Islanders. Pick two Vinopolos and Manitou Laggy and Owen Farrell, and then just like eleven other from England. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like if if you've got Manu on the team with the two Vinopolos and Farrell, it it doesn't matter who the other eleven players are. Just yeah, and I'm surprised when in England. I'm, I'm not. Oh, sorry, that's not surprising. I, when I see England, just like going. Oh, and Farrell's probably passed it. You know, Marcus Smith is new man. You're going, mate, you don't understand fucking rugby. You know, Owen Farrell is a guy who everybody who's ever played with just thinks like, he's a great player. He's a great leader. Everyone has so much time for him. He's 
is so fundamental to making England play well. And they want, like, there's so much of, and it's, like, Marcus Smith is a really good player. But there's so, such a rush to appoint him as like, a guy who's going to be England's out half forever. And that, that shit doesn't work. Like, a player like him, he can't be playing like a 20 to 22-year-old forever. You know, whereas a player like Farrell can play, he can play that way until he's 34. But, like, that, that story is as, as old as Fleet Street. Mm. Like, in, it, when Stuart Barnes wasn't playing, it was like, oh, if England picked Stuart Barnes ahead of Rob Andrew, they'd be better. And then it was Danny Cipriani, and then it was Garrity, and now it's Marcus Smith. And, like, they all have their attributes, but the fact is that if you picked a midfield of Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell, and Manitou Alagi, it would be stronger because, it like, the benefits, the virtues of it would be one to Alagi, two Farrell, three Smith. Yeah. And Smith is really good, but, like, or, or it might be, it might be Smith two and Farrell three, but it would be Manu number one. I mean, that's the other thing... I don't watch an awful lot of the Gallagher Premiership, so I don't. I'm not massively familiar with uh, Smith's like day to day work, but I know I read the reports about how Harlequins play. I see the results they get in like these extravagant high scoring comebacks, mm-hmm. and it's like England never fucking play like that. But England like, play like a big bunch of fucking bruises when they're at their best. The only good England teams are big bunches of bruises with a, a ten who puts the points over the bar all the time. Well, no, no, no. Well, Mark, Mark, Marcus Smith is really good, and he, he scores tries late in big matches. But So it's not about... But it's, England it's not a, don't win games 37 But it's, it's not really about Marcus Smith. Like It's it's about Manu. In, you go back to the New Zealand match, Manu made the difference. You go back to the, the England match where they beat us in the first game, and oh, they had all these kicking the options. Yeah, the 2019 match, and they had all these kicking options, and you know we had Robbie Henshaw playing full back, and they had left footed option, and they had this and that. Fundamentally, the first thing, the first attacking opportunity they had, they gave it to Manu, and what? he he just he's like the guy is at the top level. Yeah. He's actually unplayable. Like there's very few, there's very very few players at the top level who are unplayable. When Manu is fit, he is at, like at the top level. And he's been like that for all his career now. He's yeah. hardly ever fit. That, like I remember yeah, seeing him. Yeah. I remember seeing him in South Africa when he was young, uh, and he's just like Jesus. Like I, this playing against the absolute mutants of South Africa. And I'm just thinking like every time Manu gets the ball, he makes a line break or scores a try. It was literally every time. Like he he is phenomenally explosive. Like he is absolutely phenomenal. Drico, I know, just goes like the guy is. Like, He's played, Drickle's played his entire life with freakish athletes. And so going, this guy is for, called from a completely different galaxy. Yeah. And like, he, he's, he's so big and so dynamic and so tough that he's, he's, he's just going to be pretty much injured for 90% of the time. And, and that's like, that's the, that's the downside of him. So you can't, you almost can't build your game around him because he's not going to be available enough. But like, when he's there, Guys, yeah, he's back else. playing now. He played for, he came on for Sale the other last week. Actually, played against Quinns and melted your man. Uh, you know that big Quinns center, the uh, South African, uh, Tyson. Yeah, the guy who uh, he's saying South African. <laughs> he's good. He's good. Big strong fella. 
But uh, yeah, Manu's. I like so. I think he's trying to. I think he's overthinking it. I think he's trying to reinvent England. Maybe time will like time will tell that this is an uh, another really amazing um, sort of reimagination that he's done. But I think this is more typical of of how his career pans out. That it goes. There's a really good spell, and then. He sort of fucks it up at the end. Okay, and then finally Scotland. They don't really know what to say about that Scottish team. Um, Darcy Graham was great. That was my Darcy Graham was excellent. Brilliant. Excellent. Not that try was the first try. This yeah, was. he's a good player, isn't he? Just all around. Don't know what to say about Scotland. What did you think of them? I didn't think that they played. They didn't have a lot of ball in that game against England. They defended yeah. well. They didn't give away any cheap tries. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know what to make them. I, I need to see the. I need to see a different game. Yeah, like they didn't even finish in the top. I, I was weird. I was wondering about this. They didn't even finish in the top half of the table last year. They finished fourth on on points difference to Ireland. By one point, like yeah. Ireland points difference forty eight, Scotland plus forty seven. But even even allowing for that, you you kind of wonder like, how do you win in Paris and Twickenham, and and not win a not win a Grand Slam? For even win a Grand Slam, like how do you how do you lose two of your home matches? And that's well against against Wales, they had the sending off. They were in a very yeah. strong position, and they fucking. Screwed themselves against us. We beat them with more well, a very late kick from Sexton. Yeah, but like that's still a home game for them. Yeah, so so I think you'd you'd have to point and go Scotland got better, and also say that when Townsend was at Glasgow, they they won something, mm-hmm. um, and there's more consistency about the selection, and uh, given that both teams won at the weekend, there is. An outside possibility that could be a Grand Slam showdown. Yeah. But I don't think that Scotland are going to arrive at Lansdowne Road unbeaten. At the same time, I do think they could beat France in Murrayfield. Do you think so? Yeah, definitely. 